Our scripture reading for this morning is Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Well, good morning. So much to celebrate this morning. First of all, we have children's ministry. I mean, let's just, we need to like clap or, or do the wave or, or something for that one because that is an exciting step in the right direction. And uh, Katie did a great job of kind of handling sensitivity, the, um, just the mothers out there or potential mothers who might be suffering in a day like this. But we also want to celebrate the mothers. So if you're a mother, just stand up, please, so we can applaud you real quick. Don't be, this is not the time to be humble. Awesome. Thank you. And thanks for standing, Noah. I appreciate it. Okay. Um, if Mom, if you're watching at home, thanks for not messing me up too bad. Um, Mother-in-law, if you're watching, thanks for not messing up at all. Uh, my wife, Angela, thanks for raising our kids and being an awesome mom to them. Uh, you guys are, are worthy to be celebrated. Speaking of moms, do you know the schoolyard game Red Rover? Um, that actually has nothing to do with it. I just didn't have a good transition into it, so I thought I'd throw that in there. How many people remember the game Red Rover? Okay, N less than half of the people in here. I think it has been banned because it is a very aggressive game that kids often get hurt in. Uh, but when I was in school, we didn't care about kids getting hurt, so it was not banned back then. <laughs> But if you've never heard of it, let me just tell you how Red Rover goes. Uh, schoolyard kids would line up on two opposite ends of a, a field, and they would link hands together, and uh, the other side would do the same thing. And then your team would call out for somebody on the other team who would run as fast as they possibly could and as powerfully as they possibly could to try to break through that link that you had. So if you caught them, they were on your team. If they broke through, they got to pick somebody from that team and go to the other side. And you would continue this until there was only one team left or the school bell rang, right? And you had to go back in from your recess. Well, I remember there was this one time we were playing in the schoolyard. And I know this is going to be hard for you to believe, but I was not always this huge hulk of a man that I am today. Uh, I was actually pretty tall and skinny. I was built much like my, my son Emmett, except for he's a lot stronger than I was at that age. And I remember standing there, and I was, I was holding the hand of a kid who was about half of my size and much skinnier than me and much less strong than I was. And our team had this bright idea of calling this guy Dan over to our side. Now, Dan was 
a year older than me. I was in fourth grade, he was in fifth grade. Uh, his arms were as big as my legs. His legs were as big as my body. He, was, he looked like a linebacker, like he was going into eighth grade or maybe trying out for high school ball. So I don't know why we would have this bright idea to call Dan over to our side of the line, except for the fact that sometimes, if you thought you could get them to run to the strongest link, then if you were able to hold them, that person would have to be on your team. But it hardly ever worked that way. They would usually look for the weakest link, and apparently, this kid Russell and I were the weakest link in the line. So this kid, Dan, runs as hard as he can right towards our arms, and I don't know why I still remember this, but I remember just being whipped backwards, and the whole line just kind of buckled, and my feet probably came off the ground, and I, I hit the ground, and our heads hit the ground, and I remember Russell crying. I'm not sure if it was pain or just fear, but when the dust settled, we were still holding hands. We, we had beat Dan, and Dan had to come over to our side. So standing up after that, when you feel like you might be the weakest, the weakest link, and then you hold up against the strongest players, we stood with confidence. Because if we could hold up against Dan running at us, there was nobody on the other side that made us fear. What's happening here in Romans is we see that, that Paul is, is trying to move us to this point of standing in confidence. Up to this point in Romans, through the first four chapters, Paul has been laying this foundation for justification by faith. It's not our own doing, not by our works, not by our goodness, it's by what Jesus has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection. It's by faith in the gospel alone that we are justified, declared righteous, and receive a new record before God. And what Paul does here in chapter 5 is he, he turns a corner. Just look at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Therefore, since we have ju been justified by faith. And the premise is this. If, if we are justified by faith, then that changes everything. If we are justified by faith, then that radically changes how we live. For if we are justified by faith and not our own works, then we can stand with confidence. We don't have to be shattered when we have a bad day and sin creeps back into our life. We don't have to live a life of guilt when we stumble because, as Paul tells us here, in the end, we will be saved, even glorified if we are in Christ. So there's not despair thinking about future judgment, but hope. And what Paul does here is show us that we, we not only have this future hope, but we should have this, this present confidence, even rejoice because of our new relationship with God. My oldest son has been getting more into writing, and it's kind of a rule when, when you write that you don't use the same words twice, right? If you if you have one word used in a sentence and you want to use it again, you got to pull out the thesaurus and figure out what word you can use instead. You don't say the same word twice, but the Bible does something completely different. If you want to just look through this passage, there are many repeated words and phrases, and they often did this just because they wanted to draw your attention to what the main point was all about. So they repeated words and phrases, and one of those repeated phrases is, we rejoice. 
We see that twice in verses 1 through 5 and once in verse 11 at the end. And there are many more repeated words and phrases in here, but we're going to use we rejoice to kind of divide this up into two sections because it's this idea of we rejoice in this future hope and we rejoice in our present confidence. Let's look at the first. Justification by faith brings us a future hope. Look at verse 2. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God, and we rejoice in our sufferings. But did you notice that other word that was repeated there several times? It's hope, right? It's hope. Three times hope is mentioned in these verses. The first of which is at the end of verse 2. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The hope of the glory of God is something we look forward to. This is a future tense. What Paul does here is he takes three different ideas that he's been talking about at the beginning of Romans, and perhaps you remember where these were used in in previous sermons in our scripture reading, but he uses rejoice or, or boasting, as some translations say, hope and glory. If you remember earlier, Paul had told them not to boast in the law. He was using boasting in a negative sense, like don't boast in the law, don't boast in your good works. But then here he just kind of changes direction. He says, let me give you something that is worthy to boast in. If you're going to boast, if you're going to rejoice, rejoice in this, the glory of God. Earlier, Paul says, they exchanged the glory of God for images and that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is a a state of God-likeness. The glory of God is a state of God-likeness, but because of sin, that has been lost. We were created in God's image, and as being image-bearers, we were to reflect his image, to reflect his glory into the world, but sin has tainted that and broke that. But here we're reminded that this will be restored in the end for every Christian. And Paul says to hope in this, even rejoice, because those who are justified by faith have an unshakable hope, because we know in the end we will be saved from God's wrath. I don't have a slide up here for this, but skip down to verse 9. It says, therefore, We now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So what Paul is saying here is because of Jesus' substitutionary death on our behalf, we know that one day we will be saved from God's wrath. There is no punishment for those who are in Christ. Instead, it says in verse 1, there is a peace with God. Wrath, peace. If you are In Christ, you don't live under judgment, but under the peace of God. I think this is just a really good reminder for those of us who 
are crushed by our own sin. Uh, if you're one of those people that when, when an old sin or a, a pattern of sin kind of creeps back into your life, you are pushed under the weight of that, and your reaction is like, I'm just going to run away from God. I'm just going to turn, and I'm going to hide, and I'm going to be covered with shame. There is no wrath being stored up for us because Jesus has already taken that for us. Even more than that, the grace in which we now stand is a secure position. And one day, every Christian will be glorified and perfected on the last day, which shouldn't bring fear, but hope and even rejoicing. But there's a second part of this rejoicing that's a little bit tougher, isn't it? Verse 3 says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. So on one hand, we, have, we rejoice in the hope of his glory. And we get that. That's, that's this future hope that we have because we're not going to face the judgment of God. And, and we, can, we can rest assured in, in the peace of God. And the second part of that is we rejoice in our present sufferings. I say, what? That doesn't really make a lot of sense, does it? How do we rejoice in our sufferings? Remember that this begins with hope in what God has done. And how does it end? Well, it builds off itself. It says suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. So in other words, in, in suffering, you are just building more hope. Not only does suffering make us more like Jesus, suffering produces more hope in us. Suffering is not pleasant, but we rejoice in hope because as Paul concludes, hope does not put us to shame. So as a Christian, you can be confident no matter the circumstances because hope will not disappoint. When we get to the end, we need not fear judgment because our foundation is not built upon our own good works. It's not keeping a record of wrongs, but our record is built upon Jesus and it is held tight by God's amazing grace for us. So hope does not disappoint. You know, years ago, I had a church function, and uh, it was during the Packer game. And she'd never, as a, as a big Packer fan, never scheduled a church function when the Packer game was on. This is not going to go well. But I was recording it at home. I had TiVo at the time, so I was recording it. So every person that came up to me and tried to tell me the score, I was like, no, 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 no. I'm recording it, I'm gonna watch it when I get home. And I got all the way through this function without hearing anything about the score, whether they were winning or whether they were losing. And I remember pulling out my phone and I was just gonna check to see if Angela had called or, or what. And I forgot that I had the ESPN open. And without even realizing what I was reading, I read the, the score and the Packers were up by one in less than two minutes. So I knew that they were winning. I didn't know if they won, but I went home and I decided to watch the whole game all over again. And what was really interesting about this game is the Packers got crushed in the first half. They were winning, uh, losing uh, 26 to 3 at halftime. And what was interesting is if I didn't see that score, I would have been freaking out, like, what are we doing here? I mean, they were playing the Cowboys, and, and as a Packer fan, you know that we want to beat the Cowboys and the Bears and the Vikings, and if those are the only three teams we beat during the season, then we're good. Jim, we want to beat the Bears, just so you know. So I wasn't freaking out because I knew that they were going to come back. So instead of 
sitting there and, and worried and being concerned about it, what I did is like, well, this would be interesting. This would be fun to watch how they actually come back. And they did. They actually scored 24 unanswered points in the second half and beat the Cowboys by one point. Church, we know what the final score is. We know what the final score is. We know how this story ends. So even in the midst of of turmoil, even in the midst of of suffering, even in the the midst of your own mistakes and and sin, we know how this, this ends. We know this because we have been justified by faith. We have been justified in, our, in Jesus, and, and that record has been wiped clean, like all the sins of your past have been wiped clean before God. And this is the good news of the gospel, is that even after new birth, that all of a sudden you don't just start adding things to that clean slate. Your slate is clean, your record is clean forever because of what Jesus has done on the cross for you. What this means is when your circumstances are not as they're planned or, or you're, you're stumbling in your sin, you look your eyes up and you have hope because you know how this story ends. In the end, victory will be ours. But our future hope is not the only thing that gives us confidence in the presence. Look at verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus dies for the ungodly. And I love this. It's just at the right time. He doesn't wait for us to get ready. When we were at our worst, at just the right time, Jesus dies for the ungodly. And not to, just to save us in the future, but to reconcile us to God now, to change that relationship. The theme of reconciliation is huge here, and we see that we have a peace with God in, in verse 1. And in the last two verses, we read reconciliation three times. While justification gets us a new record before God, reconciliation gives us a new relationship with God, where that relationship was, was broken and there was Turmoil, what Jesus does in the gospel is he mends that relationship and makes it right once again. Reconciliation means that we have a new relationship with, with God. Relationship has been mended and made right. And just like justification, this is not of our undoing. Um, as a pastor, I've had the joy of doing a lot of premarriage counseling, but also some marriage counseling. And thankfully, I haven't done a lot of marriage counseling here, so I got to go all the way back to like my Daytona Beach days when I was a pastor down there. But it's interesting, when, when you do marriage counseling, what typically happens is couples wait until like, it is like ready to fall off the cliff. Like nobody comes and says, hey, we had a fight, you know, maybe we should talk about this in advance. Like, no, couples usually wait until like one of them's like, I'm done. And it's like, okay, maybe we should come into marriage counseling now. But one of the interesting things about counseling couples in marriage is when they come to the table, what usually happens is one person will say, 
I'm 100% right and the other is 100% wrong. And they'll say, no, 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 I'm 100% right and you are 100% wrong. So one of the things in counseling is you have to walk through that and find like the part that each um, person played in, in that relationship and show them like, hey, this isn't all the fault of the others. There's some things that you could have done better. There's some sin that you need to repent of so that we can bring you together. And, and once that happens, they can come somewhere in the middle and repent and confess sin together and forgive one another. And sometimes somebody has to come a lot further than the other person, depending on what they had done. But the really interesting thing about a relationship with God it's the one relationship that we have in this world where one person really is 100% at fault and the other one is 100% right. We know that because of sin, because of rebellion, because of the way we have run away from God, that we are 100% at fault. And when you think of it that way, you think, well, then I better meet God in the middle or go really far or maybe even just come over all of the way because of what I have done in my sin. But the exact opposite thing actually happens here. When we were still thinking that we had all of our stuff together, thinking that we had done nothing wrong, Jesus comes all the way over to us. God comes all the way over to us in the gospel. He meets us where we're at because we have nothing to contribute. He comes all the way over and makes things right with us. See, this was our, our condition. Verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, But God shows his love for us in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Do you notice that pattern? While we, while we were still weak, when we were morally helpless, when we were still sinners, when we were enemies of God, Christ died for us in that moment. Let me just change the wording on that a little bit. Jesus didn't die for us once we became strong or once we became sinless and fully righteous or once we turned on our own and met God all the way. No, Jesus died for us when we were morally helpless grave sinners, alienated from God. And this changes everything. God's grace changes everything. Do you get that? Okay. But here's the part we sometimes miss. There's a great book called Gentle and Lowly. Um, I have a hard time reading any priestly kind of book, but this, this book is growing on me, but especially this chapter. Dan Orland says, it is one thing to believe that God has put away and forgiven all of our old failures that occurred before new birth. That is a wonder of mercy, unspeakably rich. But those were, after all, sins committed while we were still in the dark. We had not been made new creatures, freshly empowered to walk in the light and honor the Lord with our lives. It's another thing to believe that God continues just as freely to put away all our present failures that occur after new birth. The gospel truth here is if God loved us when we were his enemies, 
Surely he will love us now that we are his beloved children. If he loved us in our failures then, he will love us in our failures now. See, somehow we miss this and end up living like we did before we discovered grace, trying to earn it, make ourselves right with God. But when we do this, we, we end up hiding. Even, even running from God all over again, covering ourselves with shame and guilt again and again. But what does verse 5 teach us? Hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, shame has no place in the Christian life. Why? Because the God who forgives all our failures before new birth continues to put away all our new failures even after new birth. That's what grace does. It's not that we should continue to sin so that grace can abound. We're going to see that in, in the next chapter in Romans 6. But we don't need to beat ourselves up or be put to shame because God's grace is enough for us. God's grace changes everything. And if we're justified through Jesus, then we are reconciled to him, and no current sin is going to affect that. Our relationship is secure in Christ Jesus. You might be thinking, man, I, I feel like if I beat myself up over this, that, that somehow I'm going to sin less. But I can guarantee you, the more you discover God's grace and his deep love for you, the less and less you're going to sin. The less and less you will sin this. Do you believe this? Because what you believe about God is deeply going to affect your relationship with him. What you believe about God is deeply going to affect your relationship with him. Either he's going to be this stern father figure who looks down on us as if nothing is good enough, or he's a loving father who has given us his son, a son who went to the cross for us, something that we couldn't do on our own and, and paid the penalty for all of our sin, something we're not capable of. And he's a loving father who gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to remind us how much God actually loves each one of us. We were once enemies, but now we are allies, even friends. What we believe about God is gonna deeply affect our relationship with him. And this is the point that Paul is making here. It's not so much God's past work for our, our present confidence, but because of his past work, we can have present confidence. If God did that, for you through Jesus, back when you were running away, back when you were rebelling, loving your own sin, building your own kingdom, ignoring God, even revolting against him, loving the things of this world, but hating the things of God. If God could do that for you back then, what are you worried about now? What are you worried about now? Simply put, if God loved us, in our messy lives then, God will love us in our messy lives now. There's this song by, by Hillsong that I, I can't get out of my head. I, I think the other day I put it on repeat and probably listened to it like 30 times in a row. And I'm, I'm not even joking. Uh, but these words are, are haunting me in, in a good way. And in the song it says, God of salvation, 
you chased down my heart through all my failure and pride. On a hill you created the light of the world abandoned in darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind, you so will I. I think some of us need to hear that this morning. When we are justified by faith, a hundred million failures are left behind. Not the failures of your past life when, when before you were regenerated by the Holy Spirit, but even a hundred million failures on, on this side of the cross. Justification by faith changes everything. Before I, I end here, I want to bring back, like, what does, what does Paul accredit this to? What does Paul point us to in this passage? You know, if you had a, a pen and you're one of those people that marks up your Bible, just go through this passage and circle every time it says by or every time it says through, but I'm going to read through that. We have peace with God through Jesus. We have access to God's grace through Jesus. We have been justified by Jesus. We are saved from wrath by Jesus. We are reconciled to God by the death of Jesus. We are saved from death by Jesus' life. We rejoice in God through Jesus, and we receive reconciliation through Jesus. Church, listen. We can stand tall because of Jesus. We can be confident in our lives because of Jesus, because of what we are shown in the gospel. We can be confident in the present because of Jesus. The late Eugene Peterson wrote, we find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in wide open spaces of God's glory, of grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. We have access to God's grace through Jesus, and through Jesus we rejoice. Through Jesus we praise the God who created us and redeems us and will one day glorify us, standing tall and shouting our praise through Jesus. I'm going to call the worship team back up. And here's how I want to end this morning. If you remember a few weeks ago, um, we preached and it was really just a passage that was, was on confession. So at the end, we all read this confession together. But what we're seeing today and, and what Paul is talking about in this passage is actually like the opposite end of that. It's not confession. This is assurance. This is the assurance that we have in the gospel of God's grace for us. This is confidence that we have in grace. So please stand with me. And as I read this chapter, as, as I read this prayer of assurance, I want you to just let this just pour upon you. Just close your eyes. Just take these words in. And I want us to confidently stand with one another in Christ and hear these words of assurance of grace in Jesus. O oh God, to have the almighty 
sovereign of the universe as my personal, watchful, caring friend hovering over me, showering daily graces upon me. This changes everything. In your infinite perfection, you are sufficient for all my needs, now and forever. Your love will never abandon me, even when I sin. Your plan will never fail me, even when I lose my way. Your sovereignty will never unthrone itself, allowing the enemies of my soul to rob me of your promises. All this is well, for you are there. You are mine. I boast in you, mighty friend, in the holy name of Christ. Amen.